Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So, as we read in our gospel uh, reading this morning, um, I don't know of anything that brings more grief to the human heart than death. And sometimes it doesn't matter exactly what. I mean, sometimes it can be a loved one, sometimes it can be a family pet, but it, sometimes it makes it really difficult in our lives to deal with. There's a lot of things that maybe disturb us in life, um, but death is in its own category, and it has its own set of emotions. Uh, many times, uh, with many people, uh, there's a sense of hopelessness there's a, a associated with death that can cause um, despair not only for ourselves, but for our friends or for our family or for our loved ones, and, and sometimes even ourselves. That is, until Jesus shows up on the scene to uh, kind of get us through that. Um, you know, we've recently um, kind of changed the script for funeral services, um, recently, but maybe in the last hundred years. Um, it used to be that uh, you got put in a box, kind of nail it shut, and then they grabbed some ropes and they lowered you down into a six-foot hole, and then somebody said a couple of words over the top of it, and then that was it. But um, we have a better understanding now just how Jesus fits into our lives, how he breaks into the scene um, he breaks into our lives anytime, anywhere he shows up. And it seems that every time Jesus pops on the scene, the people who were there um, had something to talk about for the rest of their lives, something amazing to talk about for the rest of their lives. It got me thinking about that. Have you ever been an eyewitness to something that you really wanted to talk about for a long time? Now, I, I get uh, kind of uh, a knock for um, having sports analogies, using sports analogies, but the Apostle Paul uses sports analogies all the time. He's talking about Olympics, he's talking about races. So I just want to show you some amazing events that people may have been at that they talked about for a long time. For example, this number one, how about Wilt the Stilt here? This guy scored 100 points in a basketball game one time. Back in the day, in his day, um, basketball wasn't it, what it is now, no March Madness and things like that. So there may be, um, our experts say there may be 3,500 people that saw this but there's like 40,000 that claim they were there somehow, and there's a bunch of artificial tickets for it. Or how about this one? Maybe this is a little more contemporary. Um, we all got to see this one, well, if you were alive. 1980, Olympic hockey team, right? This is where Al Michaels said, do you believe in miracles, right? So we talked about that for a long time. As a matter of fact, I'm still talking about it today, right? Because that was a pretty big event, and uh, more of us, like I said, you didn't have to be at Lake Placid to witness that. You could see it on TV and listen to Al Michaels talk about it. How about this next one? I just did this one for a little bit of dig. This is the 2017 Super Bowl. Remember this one? New England was down 28-3 to late in the third quarter, and they came back. And I thought, you know, is the NFL actually rigged, or what is actually happening? There's the winning touchdown, though. So that was, we talked about that one for a long time, good and bad. We could talk about the Bucks winning the championship, too, some things like that that happened, you know, a little bit more closer to home. But this morning, back to our gospel, we read something that was, that was so amazing. Um, I wish we had a time machine that we could head back and, and watch it happen. That's actually what we're going to do this morning. We're going to jump in a time machine. We're going to go back and, uh, and see it. I mean, um, think about it. If, if Jesus brought a person back to life, man, I seriously doubt anybody's witnessed somebody coming back to life. And, and people in the medical field say, well, I see it all the time. And my question back to them is, okay, when's the last time it happened at a funeral, right? Okay, by the time we get to the funeral, it's pretty much a done deal, right? So if that happens, you call me and you know, and we would be talking about that for the rest of our lives probably. So now Jesus says, um, you know, he just touched this coffin and he said, get up. He gave this command and the, and the kid got out of there. And we're going to see in this moment, um, the, the primary way, listen to me now, the primary way that we should relate this to our lives, or we should apply this to our lives. 
Because sometimes we read some of these um, historical accounts in the Bible and we just take them as maybe a history lesson, maybe a cool, warm, fuzzy. Well, Jesus didn't come here and do these things and talk about these things just so we could have a warm, fuzzy when we walk out into the parking lot today. He did it to change our lives, change the way we look at him and to change the way we believe in him. I mean, look at this for a second. You know, we've got to apply... Um, the focus, the focus has to be on, on Jesus, on the Son of God. The Word became flesh, the visible image of the invisible God, who has power over, over death. And not only that, we need to remember that Jesus is the only one that has that power to bring uh, the dead back to life. Okay, so climb with me into the time machine. We'll see what happened. What, who exactly was involved and why we're still talking about this today. Um, before we really get into it, though, I like to frame where we are and kind of give us an idea of, of position. So I want to show you this map. I've been showing you maps the last couple of weeks. Um, we've been in Nazareth two weeks ago, and then we were in Capernaum. You can see the Sea of Galilee there. Um, Capernaum's just there on the north, right on the sea. Nain is down here in red, right? So just uh, you know, about 25 miles um, south of Capernaum. Um, Nain was a uh, unique uh, little village. It's still there in Galilee. Um, about four miles from the mountain right there, so it's a beautiful place, about 20, like I said, 25 miles from Galilee. Um, Capernaum is where Jesus set up his earthly ministry after he left Nazareth. He said he set up tent, he set up camp there. So, okay, so now the word Nain, it's actually more, uh, pronounced more like nine, but that kind of confuses us. I'm going to keep with the pronunciation of Nain. Uh, it means beauty and it means pleasantness, this city, this name. In Hebrew, uh, the word Nain or nine uh, refers to green pastures or loveliness. Um, Nain may have earned that name because of that location on those hills and in those mountains. Um, have some beautiful views over the valleys, over Carmel and the hills of Nazareth. You can see from there, white peaks of the mountains glistening in the distance. But anyway, Nain at one time was very prosperous. It was a very prosperous city. Uh, but then some economic things changed, um, and that city really never recovered from that. But it's still there. It's still a small little hamlet, as they call it, right there. Um, in that settlement. So, all right, let's pick up this historical account um, as Luke lays it out for us. Um, now, last couple of weeks we've been in Luke 4. Today we're in Luke chapter 7, and we're starting in verse 11, for those of you keeping score at home. All right, so it says, Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. Okay, so there's a lot going on um, in this one verse already. So the first question that should come up to your mind when I just throw something at you like this is, as soon after what? Where was Jesus? What was he doing? Well, he was coming down from Capernaum. That's why we talked about in in chapter 4, he was up in Capernaum. And he meets this centurion, right? This Roman um, kind of guy that's in charge of 100 men, right? He meets this guy, and the guy says, hey, um, I know you're busy. I just want to talk to you real quick. My son is sick. I know you don't want to come to my house, but if you could just heal him, I know that you have that power because he says, I have the same power over people. I tell them to do something and they do it. So I know if you just speak it. And Jesus is like, wow, I've never seen faith like this before. He says, he says, go home. I mean, he didn't have the kid's name, didn't have the address, he didn't have anything. He just says to the guy, everything's going to be cool, go home, and your son's going to be healed. Well, he no more than turns around and the people coming from his home say, yeah, your son was healed right there, right on the spot, just like that. So that's what these people are coming from. So there's a large crowd, it says, following him. Now, large crowd doesn't quite cover it for the English language. Um, what this word, this is a compound word in Greek, it means exceedingly large multitude. There's an exceedingly large multitude um, following Jesus out of Capernaum because they've seen some amazing things already and they want to see what this guy is going to do next, right? They want to see what's going on. They're following him to see um, and believe you me, they're not going to be disappointed. 
So that's exceeding large. Okay, so Nain, Nain the city of Nain, um, was never walled. A lot of the cities, most of the cities of those days, had walls around it to protect them from their enemies. Nain didn't need that because of where it is geographically speaking. It's got a lot of natural barriers around it, and it's got just one narrow road that goes into it. Okay, so why is that significant? Why am I telling you all that? For military purposes, that road wasn't very wide. Most scholars, and myself included, believe that we can actually go back to the spot where this whole incident took place and where we're talking about here. So, okay, maybe your question now is why are you telling me all this, right? Why are we talking about all this? Well, this is what happens now. These two groups of people meet each other. Look at Luke 12. So there's an exceedingly large crowd following Jesus. Now it says, a funeral procession was coming out as he, as Jesus, approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was following her. Okay, once again, a lot going on here. Funeral procession coming out of of the gate to the west of Nain, um, are these burial chambers, these caves and these burial mounds that are still there. We could actually go out there today and look at them. So that's probably where this, where this funeral is headed. Uh, so now as Jesus approaches the gate, um, there's a young man uh, who has died who is the widow's only son. Um, you know, in those days, it mattered about how many people were there um, to mourn somebody who had died. It was a, a kind of a prestigious kind of thing. Um, and this says, um, it says a large crowd here also. But it's not the same words that we saw a minute ago. Jesus has this exceedingly large multitude. This uh, crowd says it means it's a, a sufficient crowd. It's a sizable crowd. Because people are going to want to know how many mourners were there. And seriously, if you didn't have enough mourners, if you didn't have a big enough family, you would actually go out and hire people to come to the funeral and cry and wail and to make it a, make it a big deal so that everybody knew that that was an important person. What this is telling us is this village is supporting this woman. Because think about what we just learned here. She's a widow. Her husband has died, obviously. That was her means of support. Women in those days really weren't supporting themselves, didn't, weren't able to support themselves, so they relied on their husband. So that's why the Bible tells us over and over and over again to take care of widows, to take care of orphans. Well, this woman is okay because even though her husband has died, she still has her son, her only son, right? But now... Her only son has died. So this is devastation that's happening here. And this is the funeral party that's going to those burial caves and those tombs. Again, so now we've got two crowds about to intersect one another. One crowd is following life. One crowd, like I've said, titled this is the life of the party. You know, they want to follow him and see what's going on. Life of the party, kind of, you know, pun intended. So they're following the life. And the other crowd is literally following death to the tombs, to the cemetery, right? One can only imagine um, the, the different moods of these two crowds. Um, the people with Jesus um, were full of excitement, full of anticipation. They're following him. They want to see what he's going to do next. Why are we going to Nain of all places? They're probably wondering. Um, how is he going to mess with the Pharisees next? What's he going to stir up? What's he going to do? Who's he going to cure? What's going to happen? So they're there with anticipation. You know, there's going to be, in that crowd, joy. There's going to be laughter, um, hope, probably a lot of talking, a lot of chatter, a lot of excitement going on with that crowd, that exceedingly large crowd. The other crowd coming out of Nain is the exact opposite, right? A widow's only son has died. In the dictionary, that should be the definition of devastation at that time, right? She's going to have a tough life. She's going to have a tough time of it. She's going to have to be relying on other people to just kind of be generous to her. That's why the Bible tells us to do that so much. Women, again, had to rely on the men in their lives to take care of them. 
Husband is already gone. She's thinking, that's okay, I've got my son, until she doesn't. So this crowd had no joy. This crowd had sorrow. These guys weren't laughing, they were weeping and and wailing. They didn't have the hope that Jesus' crowd had. They had more despair coming out of there. So I'm sure now, when Jesus' people in that crowd saw this other crowd coming, the mood changed. Right? So that road, I told you about, geographically speaking, what Nain looked like. And they, like I said, they didn't need a wall because there wasn't really good access to the city. Still isn't really good access to the city. So those two crowds could not have gone and passed each other. Jesus' crowd had to probably step aside and let these guys, the mourners, come through as they're heading out to the tombs. Just like you would do for a funeral procession coming down the road. What do we do? You know, we pull over. We stop. You know, if we're having a lively conversation, we probably stop talking, right? We shut off the radio, right? We're being respectful. That's probably what Jesus' crowd was doing in, at that same time. So the mood, the mood in Jesus' crowd changed for everybody except this one guy that we call Jesus, right? He knew what he was there for, and he knew what was going on. So instead of moving aside, Jesus goes right through that crowd of mourners, And he comes right up to that woman, right up to that widow, right up to that mother. Look at verse 13. It says, When the Lord saw the woman, he felt very sorry for her and said, Don't cry. Tell you that there's a lot of unusual stuff going on in in verses this one. This one's crazy. First of all, it's unusual for Luke to write like this. Luke doesn't usually write about Jesus' emotions. He talks about Jesus being the human side, but he doesn't talk about Jesus' emotions. So, from a literary standpoint, we need to look at this and say, okay, why is he making such a, a big point of this? Why is he pointing this out to us when he doesn't usually do that in, in other places? Well, he's doing this, he's setting this apart because he wants us to understand that Jesus hates death as much as anyone and knows the pain that it brings, especially to this woman, especially to this lady that he's, that he's confronting here, that he's talking to here. She's completely lost everything, the husband, the support of the son, But Jesus breaks through that crowd. He breaks through the mess, and he looks her in the eye, and he says, don't cry, which is kind of, if you think about what I've told you so far, it's kind of a crazy thing to say, because at these events, you're supposed to be crying, you're supposed to be crying really hard, and if the people around you can't cry hard enough, you hire people that can really cry and really make up a big deal. But Jesus knows what he's about to do. Jesus knows how he's about to break in and how he's about to change the scene, how he's about to turn her sorrow um, into joy. So Jesus comes up and he touches the briar. It's not a coffin, it's a, it's a pallet, even though it says it here uh, in verse 14. It doesn't say coffin, right? Then he comes up and he touches the briar. And those who carried it stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. Let's talk about the first part now. Um, back in the day, um, to come even near a dead body, let alone touch one, meant that you were going to be unclean for a while. You couldn't go to the temple. You couldn't be a part of anything. You had to be separate. So touching a dead body was not a great time and not something that people went out of their way to do. The guys that are carrying the the litter, the pallet, okay, they're the exception, right? We get that. And so when it says that they stopped, they stood still, they were a little surprised about what was going on here. This guy comes out of nowhere, out of this huge crowd. What are these guys doing here in Nain? I mean, this is a small little town, and there's barely enough room for you to get in here. Why are you here in the first place? And all of a sudden, this guy comes through, touches the pallet, right? And if that wasn't surprising enough, he says, to the, he says, young man, I say to you, get up. 
If you're still with me, I want to tell you the crazy part about this whole event that's happening right here. Um, the word get up, or maybe a better way to phrase that is arise, um, is a Greek, obviously a Greek verb. Um, and it's what we call the imperative mood, so it means it's, it's a command. But um, it's, it's called the passive voice, though. So let me, let me put it to you in English. If you had a ball and you were going to throw it, would you say to the ball, go across the yard? You would just throw, I mean, the ball doesn't have a choice of what's happening. And that's what this young man doesn't have a choice. This is something that's being done to him. It's not as though Jesus said, hey, you know, if you feel like it or anything, you know, just go ahead and, and get, no. He said, get up. And that was a command that the kid could not dismiss and could not disobey. He sat up, right? And he started talking. And then it says, Jesus gave him back to his mother. The reason I talk about it like this and the reason that, that Luke writes it like this is so that we know that it's Jesus' power doing this. It's not something that just happened, not something that just kind of went on. No, this is Jesus doing this, again, the power into this kid, saying, get up. Giving him that command, but at the same time, not giving him a choice. Just like you don't give the ball a choice when you chuck it across the yard, right? The ball obeys just because that's the way it's going. The kid obeyed just because that's the way it's going. That's the crazy part that's going here. So he's been receiving this order that Jesus spoke to him, right? He spoke to the mom, he spoke to the kid, and then he gave him back to his mother. Jesus literally breathes life back into this young man. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, is able to speak life back into a dead person. So what's the response here? Look at verse 16. It says, great fear swept the crowd. No kidding, right? They praised God. Look what they say here now. These are people that are understanding what they see. They're acknowledging what, they, what they've seen, what they've witnessed. It says, a mighty prophet has ridden, risen among us. Remember what Angie read just a minute ago about Elijah? You know, through the power of God. It said God heard Elijah's prayer and raised that kid back up again, right? They understand that something incredible that we haven't seen for 600 years, but we've read about and we've, you know, they witnessed it back in the day, is happening right here in front of our eyes on this very day in this spot right here in the city of Nain. And that if that's not enough, Luke says, oh, by the way, uh, God has visited his people today, literally acknowledging that Jesus is God, because God's the only one that has the power to do what this dude is doing. Like I said, doctors might be able to zap somebody back to life in the first you know, 30, 40 seconds or whatever, but let's see him do it over at the funeral home, you know, four or five days, whatever, later. The response was, fear seized them all. And if we had that time machine, if we were actually sitting there in that presence, we'd be freaked out as well. This is a display of the ultimate power, ultimate power. And they all recognize that this was an act of God, and we should too. And only God's power can accomplish this. They say a great, a great prophet has risen <clears throat> among us as they, as they, again, they acknowledge God's presence. Now, zip back here, climb out of the time machine to talk about what we just witnessed here, what we just experienced here. We saw two crowds converge at that spot, right? Remember what I said about the difference of those two crowds. One crowd with Jesus was literally following life. The other crowd was following death. 
you have accepted Christ into your heart, you understand what that means. That means you are following the crowd of life, following Jesus, trying to to learn from him, watching him do these miraculous things that we talk about, following his teachings, listening to him, conforming your life to his. You sense that joy, that excitement of being in the presence of Christ. But here's the thing, and and there's no getting around this. You, your crowd, will at some point, sometime intersect with a crowd that's following death and destruction. The world, as we sometimes call it, follows its own cravings, follows its own desires, follows its own foolishness, selfishness, made-up gods. And whether they realize it or not, they're following death straight to the tombs, straight to the graveyard. So Jesus orchestrates this. These two crowds that would intersect on this day. It was Jesus' design to raise that young man that day. And for those two crowds, he wanted those two crowds to interact. I'm sure that some questions came up, right? Wow, you're following this guy, right? Who is this guy? Tell me some more about him. Maybe they would ask the question, what just happened here? As if anybody could explain that. The most important question would be something like, why do you follow him? And as a follower of that crowd, you have a responsibility. First Peter says it like this, 3.15, but keep the Lord Christ holy in your hearts. Always be ready to answer everyone who asks you to explain the hope you have. And as I was teaching our fifth graders this morning at Sunday school, I said, you know, we don't have to try to use our words. We just use God's words, the things that he says. Our words are going to mess it up. His words are going to kind of make it clear. But here's my point. God wants our crowd to intersect with the crowd of the world. Jesus didn't just pass them by without a second glance. He headed straight into it, interacted with them. Because he knew where they were headed and he didn't want them to be heading there anymore. He had compassion, has compassion for people. He isn't afraid to get his hands dirty. He's not afraid to get involved. So my question for you this morning, my question isn't which crowd are you in. I mean, that's way too basic, way too simple, way too parochial. That's, we're way beyond that. We know what crowd we're in. My question is more like, are you avoiding the other crowd? Or are you making time to intersect with them? Make sure that your paths cross. Say that again. Make sure that your paths cross. Making contact with people who need to hear what you have to tell them. Where at school, how about? At the gym, how about? At work. While you're Coaching a football team, going to PTA meetings, 
Fill in the blanks. I really love this passage, this historical account. Because it's, it's a crystal clear story of the gospel and what is supposed to happen to the gospel, what, how we're supposed to use it, what we're supposed to do with it. I said it before, Jesus didn't come to give us this warm, fuzzy feeling, you know, when we hear these verses, you know. He came to take our cold, dead hearts, bring them back to life. And he expects you to not only believe in him, but proclaim him to the world. Jesus' miracle of resurrection in the town of Nain was for the benefit of those present, don't get me wrong, but it also serves us as a reminder of the promises that he has for us. That promise, it sounds, says something like that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. So we have two crowds in this world. Right? We have one following life. We have one following death. What difference are we going to be able to make in this world? So I hope, did you enjoy the time machine ride, by the way? The time machine to watch Jesus raise a person from the dead. And you know, I said, if we were there, we would be talking about it forever. Well, you kind of were there. And you kind of did experience it. So maybe we don't talk about it exactly like that. But let's talk about it. Let's talk about it today, you know, all day today. Let's talk about it tomorrow. Let's talk about it beyond then. And let's share it with that crowd that's heading in the wrong direction. Can I get an amen? amen. Let's stand.